It's a rainy weeknight, but the original Ben's Chili Bowl in Washington, D.C. is packed. There's a line to order, and everyone's carrying their raincoats and umbrellas, and it's making it really hard to move around while you're trying to get a seat. We're on a mission to eat a half-smoke, perhaps the most D.C. food around. And we were with our friend Allie. She's relatively new to the district, and the only time that she's been to Ben's Chili Bowl was at the airport, which, in my opinion, does not count. It's not just your opinion. It definitely does not count. Doesn't count, Ellie! I think two original half-smokes? Yeah. Two original half-smokes? So two half-smokes, everything, chili, mustard, onion? Yes. Ellie and I definitely know what we're doing. We order half-smokes, but... Not Ruth. Oh, hi. Can I get the jumbo dog with fries, please? Okay, so what I wanted was a half smoke without chili. And I guess this is the moment where I realized I didn't even really know what a half smoke was. So we asked around. I don't know. I think it, it's some type of barbecue, maybe. Right? I don't know. I'll say the half smoke is more like a sausage. Half smoke, I think, is just like one half of the hot dog is cooked, and the other is just like left raw. <laughs> A medium rare so sausage, funny. anyone? <laughs> no! It's still funny. This is Dish City from WAMU. I'm Patrick Fort. And I'm Ruth Tam. We are on a mission to eat all of DC's iconic foods. We want to know who makes them, who eats them, and what they mean in a city that's rapidly changing. We're both relatively new Washingtonians. I've been here for six years. I've lived here on and off for almost five. It's always been clear to us that we'd start this series with the half smoke. It's the closest DC comes to having an official food. Obviously, they're delicious, but we wanted to figure out why the half smoke and Ben's Chili Bowl are so important to DC. And we wanted to know how the half smoke can survive in a city that barely resembles the one the food was born into. So Ruth, do you remember when you first heard about half smokes? Not at all. It's like it was always there. Yeah, I feel like exactly the same way. I don't remember the first time I had one. It just feels like half smokes are just like omnipresent. Yeah, I mean, they're a DC institution. And maybe the reason why we as transplants know about half smokes is because Ben's Chili Bowl has had so many famous guests. Yeah, I mean, like Anthony Bourdain went there. Outside of DC, I mean, I've never heard of before. What is it? It used to be a breakfast. President Obama's visited, along with like a million other politicians. Hey, how come he's got some shredded cheese on his and I don't have one on mine? Just because I knew half smokes were important to DC didn't mean I knew why. And I mean, who would you even ask that question to? You just wouldn't walk up to a New Yorker and demand to know why a dollar slice of pizza is important to them. It just is. But to be fair, you don't have to know what's in a half-smoke to enjoy eating one, and that's why we started our half-smoke journey with Ellie, a new Washingtonian. It tastes like a mix between a hot dog and a sausage. It's spicy. I like the spicy. The snap, I like the snap of the casing. Another successful convert. But we weren't any closer to defining the half-smoke. So we drove up to Baltimore, straight to the source. Here we are, we're in the parking lot of Mangers Slaughterhouse open today, the sign says. Let's go uh, learn how the sausage is made. Is the door this way? The half smokes you eat at Ben's all come from one place, Mangers Packing Corporation. My name is Alvin Manger. I'm the fourth generation of this family business. But before we can ask what distinguishes Ben's half smokes from all the other sausages that come from Mangers, Alvin helps us suit up. I'm going to get you all a couple of coats and hats and let you see in there before we start. That was exactly our plan. Ugh, thank you. How do you feel? Uh, so professional, very suited up right now. 
This is what we manufacture. There you go, door. If you weren't in the main production area, you really wouldn't know that you were in a meat processing plant. Feels kind of like a really old office building or like your grandpa's house. You walk into the sausage stuffing room and there's this huge metal tub of the most ground meat that I have ever seen in my life. Um, it's so, the tub is so big that if it were empty, I'd be able to fit in it. And those like tendrils of ground beef like that you see at a grocery store or a butcher's. And it's kind of this orange terracotta color because it's got all these spices in it. And there's a label on top of it that says hot smoked sausage. So you know exactly what meat blend it is. Today we're finishing up for the week. So I think it was a little bit light. It made about probably 2,000 pounds. And that's pretty typical? Yes. Yeah. But enough with the sausage math. We want to know what makes a half-smoke a half-smoke. No one knows exactly why it's called a half-smoke. But the fact that the two words are together, half and smoked, and used that... Alvin has his theories, though, because it's not smoked as long as, say, a ham. It is a less smoked product and producing a different flavor. We press on. What goes into the half-smoke? And what makes the ones at Ben's Chili Bowl special? We have a, a pork and beef mixture in a natural casing uh, that, with, with our specified spices. That's the only thing I can tell you about it. Okay, fine. The exact ingredients might be a secret, but here are the three things you need in a half-smoke. The snap of the natural casing, the smokiness in the ground meat, and the spice that brings it all together. Snap, smoke, spice. Boom. Mangers didn't invent the half-smoke. That honor goes to Briggs & Company Meat Packers. Then this place in Arlington called Weenie Beanie made it a thing in the 50s. People say that Weenie Beanie did it first, but Ben's made it famous. Virginia Alley and her husband Ben opened Ben's Chili Bowl in 1958. I remember things, simple things like women didn't wear pants, jeans were worn by farmers, tennis shoes were worn on the tennis courts. And I remember if we walked from the Chili Bowl to the Howard Theater for a performance and we heard profanity, we could almost have him arrested. U Street back in the 50s was just as much of a hub as it is now. There were clubs, music venues, bars. The neighborhood was a hangout for the greatest black writers, musicians, and thinkers of the time. This was the African-American community. And this was where all the action was. This was Black Broadway. This was where people were. On a Friday and Saturday night, when you were out at the clubs, we were open until 4 o'clock in the morning. We had a slogan, sober up with a chili dog. <laughs> Looking back, it seems like this time really cemented the half-smoke as U Street's comfort food, and Ben's was its home. We had the jukebox with the music going all the time. We had tried to hire a very friendly staff, and we tried to provide an atmosphere of home. But in 1968, after 10 years in business, their world changed. That's next. Hi, I'm Kojo Namdi, host of the Kojo Namdi Show on WAMU 88.5. I'd like to thank you for listening to the very first episode of the new Dish City podcast. You can show your support for more great local programs from WAMU right now by becoming a member of WAMU.org. And thank you. When Virginia Alley, the co-founder of Ben's Chili Bowl, heard that Martin Luther King Jr. had been assassinated, she did not believe it. How could this very gentle leader of ours be taken away so violently? 
So people were crying. Everybody's crying. And then all this sadness, I know after a while the sadness turned to frustration. And the frustration turned to anger and the uprising began. From the air, the scene looked unreal. A row of fires in the middle of an otherwise tranquil city. People in cities across the nation took to the streets, shocked and angry over the death of a national hero. Late today, the president declared a state of emergency and regular army troops moved into the nation's capital to protect strategic locations from the violence spreading through the city. The city burned. Windows were shattered, hundreds of businesses and homes were destroyed, and Ben's Chili Bowl was right in the middle of it all. You don't know if you're going to find a Molotov cocktail flaming in the window when you get here the next morning, your place is gone too. The civil rights leader, Stokely Carmichael, called for businesses to close. But he insisted that one restaurant stay open, Ben's Chili Bowl. It's like people knew there was comfort in a half smoke refuge in sitting at a booth in Ben's and escaping the chaos outside. Ben's couldn't close, but even that didn't guarantee its survival. We were out here for a long time alone. During that bad time, we were alone. Middle-class African-Americans were moving away, like, rapidly. And we just were left with this boarded-up, burned-out, devastated community. Heron moved in. Then Crack moved in. And this beautiful community became a serious ghetto. The next 20 years were tough on Ben's Chili Bowl and on U Street. That is, until 1988. 1988, the city decided to build a subway system here. They found three surviving businesses in the immediate vicinity. Our bank, our flower shop, Lee's Flower Shop, now being operated by the third generation, and Ben's. Not enough to maintain one lane of traffic out there. The contractor simply dug up that entire wide street. The new metro station signaled that big changes were ahead. Suddenly, U Street was attracting developers and new business owners. And over the next 20 years, the blocks surrounding Ben's Chili Bowl changed slowly, then rapidly, until the neighborhood was nearly unrecognizable. Realtors even began using U Street's history as a marketing tool. It's a rich history here in U Street, uh, but you also have a lot of new developers coming in, new people coming in. That They like that rich history. They like the jazz clubs. And then you have some of these developers that are building cool loft-style condominiums that some of the new young people, they love. They love to have the exposed brick. They like to have the exposed ductwork. We're seeing a lot of people come over here to get that and still have a rich history in their neighborhood. In 2019, it's cool to live near historic businesses like Ben's in a posh building named after Duke Ellington, who lived and performed nearby. But U Street and its adjacent neighborhood, Shaw, have had its fair share of growing pains, and one of the most visible happened this spring. For years, a Metro PCS cell phone store in Shaw played go-go music out of a huge PA system. It could be heard from blocks away, and it's long been DC's unofficial soundtrack. Just last month, the owner of this popular mobile phone store in the historically black Shaw neighborhood was ordered to turn down the go-go. The owner claims the complaint came from a resident of a new apartment building nearby. A bunch of protesters shut down traffic outside the store, which is maybe the best way to get people's attention inside the Beltway. And at the end of it all, go-go was allowed to continue playing at the store, at least for now. The Metro PCS debacle made a lot of people think about what part of DC culture gets embraced, whether it's go-go or half-smokes, and what gets discarded. And who decides? 
I feel implicated in all of this. Like we said, I'm new here and I live in a glossy apartment building that replaced a bunch of old walk-ups. I don't want my choices to force DC to change and yet it's happening anyway. I've been carrying this displacement baggage basically since I moved here. And I definitely felt the weight of it the first time I noticed this restaurant called Half Smoke a few years ago. From the outside, it looks like part of the new wave of development near U Street. It's got this hip sans serif font and those trendy Edison light bulbs. Right. And you get really used to eyeing restaurants like Half Smoke and wondering if they were made for all Washingtonians or for the type of people that complain about GoGo. And on top of that, it seems kind of bold that this new Half Smoke place would open literally just a few blocks from Ben's, the original D.C. Half Smoke restaurant. Who would do that? Yeah, I grew up in in Dingwood in Northeast. Meet Andre McCain, a black Washingtonian, D.C. native, and founder of Half Smoke, the restaurant. As a kid, he and his mom would head to the market at RFK Stadium to get their groceries. I would always get a chili cheese and onion half smoke from the uh, hot dog truck that was there. So it was pretty much a a ritual uh, on a a regular basis. After college, Andre went to New York, where he worked in real estate finance. He spent seven years there, but he hated it. Each day was becoming more boring than the one before, so he decided to get into the restaurant business. The first name was going to be the the hot dog shop. Pivoted away from that, the hot dog itself hasn't always been cast in the the best light. The idea was to try to find a name that was as short and sweet as possible, preferably one word. And in 2016, Half Smoke the Restaurant was born. Yeah, so the Half Smoke is DC's you know, first and foremost indigenous food. It's, it's the, the Philly cheesesteak of, of DC. Even though it's down the block from Ben's, and even though they both sell Half Smokes, there aren't many more similarities. The Half Smoke at Half Smoke the restaurant is a little different from Ben's. It's like it's gotten this kind of glammy makeover. It even has a name. They call it uh, the Briggs & Co., and uh, it's served in a brioche bun. It's got uh, a fancy beer cheese and, and fried onions on top of it. The menus come in these trapper keepers from the 90s. The food is served in metal lunch boxes, and your check is delivered in VHS cases for Disney movies. And there's board games all around the restaurant, and there's a photo booth. And so really trying to create a, a, a 360 feeling of what it's like to just be in a place that is focused on fun and happiness. Before we met Andre, it was easy to assume Half Smoke was trying to appeal to diners who cared more about like Instagram experiences than about preserving DC culture. But I think we missed the point. Like where we saw a millennial playground, Andre saw nostalgia and memories and home. The restaurant is just designed as a reprieve from know some of the day-to-day realities of everyday life and it's an opportunity for you to kick back relax spend time with friends and really just get back to that fun time as a kid i came out of that conversation feeling a lot differently than i expected that i would what did you think going in i think i had this conception in my mind that he was gonna be like some guy not from D.C. who was just kind of capitalizing on half smokes and the history of them while he's doing things in his own way. He cares so much about history. And I guess like 
doing right by it. Anybody who doesn't know Andre would think, oh, they're taking something that's classic DC and revamping it for a new audience. And for some people, that might be exciting. For others, it might give them an odd sense of unease. And for other people, it just might not matter at all. The fact that people are critiquing the differences between his place and Ben's potentially shows that people care, and he's okay with that. When it comes to the half smoke, or when it comes to protecting the history of DC and, and not disrupting the old for the new, um, people take that seriously. And I think that's a good place to be. You do have to be so respectful of the culture, and it does, in some ways, creates a level of responsibility to not disrupt, but also to help uh, move things forward. Why are we so hung up on Andre having to fall into the neat box of either old or new DC? Well, I think in DC, we're used to either ors. We're used to having our identity split and for two truths to exist alongside of each other. DC is a historically black town, Chocolate City. Yeah, but now it's visibly whiter. But it's the nation's capital and at the same time, a really small town. Right. It's the seat of power, yet the people who live in the district are struggling for representation and equity at a basic level. As we found out, this tug of war over city identity is happening all over DC. But the two sides aren't mutually exclusive. You can be old DC and new DC, just like the half smoke. Dish City is produced by me, Patrick Fort. And me, Ruth Tam. Our editor is Ponzi Rutch. Our theme music is by the amazing Daniel Peterschmidt. Ben Privet mixes the show. WAMU's general manager is JJ Yor, and Andy McDaniel oversees all our content. If you want to talk to us online, we're on Twitter and Instagram at Dish City, and our email is dishcity at wamu.org. And if you want to talk to us in person, we'll be grabbing drinks at bars around the district the Tuesday after each episode drops. We want to hear from you about what you thought about this episode and meet you all in person, so give us all your hot food takes, IRL. Details about our events are at dishcity.org. Mild food takes also welcome. Cold food takes also al- welcome. Also welcome. If you love Dish City, which is hot take probably, tell a friend about it and review us on your podcast app. It helps future listeners find the show. We'll be back next week with a new episode of Dish City, so hit that subscribe button. Click, 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 click. That way we'll be in your queue when you wake up on Thursday. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Boop, boop, boop.